We're here today in the studio of Natalie Dower, and Natalie has four works of art in the Government Art Collection, all from the early 1980s. There are three acrylic paintings on canvas based on the same geometric pattern, which use different colours and negative and positive space to give a sense of movement and depth. The fourth work in the collection is a circular relief using enamel and polymer paint on hardwood. And I'm looking around the studio now, Natalie, and it's quite incredible, really, because there are so many works actually crammed into a relatively small space. And these works of different sizes, um, different levels on the wall. And it, in some respects, it's quite chaotic. But on another level there, it's very ordered as well. Can you say something about this studio space? Yes, well, I like this studio space because I can have it in quite a mess without it actually inconveniencing my life. Um, I have a range of work um, around me, which is some old, some middle period, some stuff that I'm working on right now. And that includes reliefs, sculptures, and paintings on canvas, and quite a lot of paintings on wood. Um, I like to have the possibility of coming in and having a new idea about what's good or what's bad. Should we start at the beginning, Natalie, because I'd, I'd like to just know a little bit about your early life. Um, when and where were you born? I was born in London. That's not to say that I'd, I spent much time there, because um, I lived in uh, Morocco for six years, mm -hmm. and I now spend quite a lot of time in Portugal. I went not only to art school, but to St Martin's, then to Camberwell, and my motive for my, the reason why I was moved there was that I was supposed to be able to earn my living. And the idea was that I might become a fabric designer. And there was a fabric design department at Camberwell. Um, and there wasn't one at that time at St. Martin's. So I went to be interviewed at Camberwell and was interviewed by um, Philip Matthews, who was the head of painting there. And he said, you've got to come into the painting department. You can do fabric design as your craft. So I was very pleased about that. And um, there I was at Camberwell for, I think, three years. Um, at that point, there was an exodus from the Camberwell School to the Slade. Mm. First of all, the teachers, mm -hmm. um, Bill Coldstream, who had already moved before I went to Camberwell, and um, Claude Rogers and people they moving, and all the more ambitious or interested students <coughs> trooped after them. So I then spent um, two years at the Slade. Uh, so I had a very long and happy time at art school. Um, which was followed later on by teaching in art schools. I taught at um, St Albans, Camberwell, um, Chelsea, Bamshore. Um, so art schools were a very happy environment for me. And this is, I think, when you were a student, and, and possibly when you were teaching too, that, that Camberwell had a very strong kind of realist tradition. It did, it, it did. Um, I was a very, very immature um, 70, just 17 when I went there. I was 16 when I went to St Martin's. Um, not like 16 and 17 year olds are now. And I fell hook, line and sinker for the Euston Road um, system which was being taught there. Um, it took me a long time to realise that this wasn't really my language and it then took me a very long time to disengage myself from it and, and, and find what was right for me. I'm, I'm very interested in that because obviously nowadays you're, you're known for your 
geometric abstractions, really, which are a far cry from the very sort of realist works that you yes. were talking about. Um, what what sort of pushed you in that direction? Oh, ah, well, there was something it... d directly which caused that, and it's when I was teaching at the Bath Academy of Art, Corsham. I was teaching in the figurative studio, and teaching in the constructivist studio were Malcolm Hughes and Michael Kidner. Um, I was at that time still a figurative painter, but um, very unhappy about it, having tried expressionism, um, cubism, whatever, and not found anything of any use to me. And I got really interested in what they were teaching in that studio. And that indeed was the start of it. And Malcolm Hughes, whom I sorely missed, because he was a, a wonderful friend, um, as was um, his partner, Gene Spencer, um, who was a student there at the time, um, I miss them both very much because um, I learned an awful lot from Malcolm, who was the most generous teacher. And um, I miss being able to talk about my work to them now. They, both, they died within a year of cancer, both, mm. which was, was really very sad. And did um, sort of Russian constructivism kind of have a big impact on you? Well, of course, I didn't really know about Russian constructivism at that point because mm. Malcolm was very, a very hard line. In, in more the um, Dutch and, 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 and um, European line of constructivism. So it really was rather later on that I discovered all those wonderful Russian constructivists. And it was, it is a rather extraordinary thing that constructivism in the UK has become so rigidly enclosed within um, um, these formal um, parameters. Mm -hmm and that um, all those other strange um, and weird and wonderful things that, that were going on in Russia seem to have been rather um, sidelined. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's very interesting, because I, I read somewhere that you, you uh, labelled a systems painter, which to me seemed quite a yes. reductivist well, kind of label. It's really. very difficult, because um, people sort of need you to have some kind of indication of what you do. Mm. And I do, in fact, use systems, but the systems are systems that I invent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're, they're um, rather intricate, and they are to serve my purposes. So I'm not the slave of the system. Um, they're simply a way which helps, helps me with my language. Can you then say a little bit more about how you actually start your process of making work? Uh, sometimes it starts with, um, I get an idea about just a sequence like um, in this painting there you've got one two three then that one goes back and does two one in other ones they've gone on two three four yeah and i think uh this is like something gathering pace yeah. So i thought well you could call it speeding up yes. something then i start to doodle on a piece of paper graph paper usually squared paper seeing um if you put lines representing these rhythms down, whether you get anything interesting. I mean, that's a very, very, very simplistic and yes. basic thing. I use the Fibonacci series, which is a lot of people use. I've never really used the golden mean, mm -hmm. although I'm very well aware of it, because it, it, it hasn't actually served my purposes. These are mathematical uh, Yes, yes, yes. Most people know about the Fibonacci is... is, is, is is a proportion that happens in growing plants and seashells, and it's both the previous numbers, like 
one, one, two, two and three make five, mm -hmm. three, five make seven. Um, it's it's it, 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 it's a, a series. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean that in itself is not going to give you guarantee you will give you a, an interesting work. Yeah. But sometimes I just follow follow a programmed a programmed series. There's a print over there which has a programmed line. Yeah. And the line has um, one rhythm which goes for change of colour, one rhythm which goes for length of travel, and another rhythm which goes for change of angle when it reaches the, the end of the length of travel. Right. And they counterpoint one another yeah. all the way through. And I draw this thing out and I see what do I get. Now sometimes you get something which can be intellectually a rather interesting idea, but visually it's quite dull. It, 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 it really isn't yeah. interesting. And mm. so um, there's a lot of things that I scrap because yeah. um, because I do think that the final final end of the thing is is, is what counts. Right. And you can't justify it because it's it's simply an intellectually interesting idea. Do you tend to work in a series, or do you kind of work um, in individual? I only work pieces? in a series in that I often need to explore the thing further. Right. I don't ever deliberately do a series, mm. but um, sometimes, um, for example, over there you've got a small version of the painting above it. Yes. Um, which wasn't done deliberately, but I realised the small one would actually look rather good on a larger scale. Um, quite often, of course, there are totally different ways you can interpret the same layout, yes. but with the colours. Yes. But I wouldn't want to say, you know, use several different colourways, right? <laughs> but no, if but you that's, that actually the one you're pointing at at the moment is a very good example, because there's a red, green, I suppose, beige, yellowy, orange, and then a, a very dark band on the yes. right in the bigger version, and then yes. the smaller version, it's a yes. much... It's a much, much lighter softer, one. Much That's lighter what I've been band. playing around yeah. with, yes. And it does. It changes yeah. the whole emphasis. It does of indeed. Work, yes. It? <clears throat> I took the small one somewhere else and looked at it, and I suddenly found that that the very dark bit which it started off with mm. um, didn't seem quite right. Yeah. So I then um, replaced it with the, with the colour it has now. Right. Mm. And so accidents obviously play play a role in this. Or um, have a role to play. They have a role to play, but I don't actually use an accident. I wouldn't use, I don't use an error if it's an error. Yeah. That's has to go. But certainly I discover things by accident. I remember once I, I had something um, which had green on it on the floor and I dropped some red, red blotch dropped on it by mistake and I suddenly saw that this painting actually needed a bit of red in it somewhere but I couldn't leave the splotch but <laughs> I could incorporate You just introduce it. red in a more systematic way. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And so this, I mean, I'm fascinated as well by the kind of, obviously quite kind of conscious way you set about doing something and then something that is more unconscious, unconscious yes. perhaps takes over. I mean, Yes, well, say, that's what makes it rather that's exciting. That's interesting, isn't yes. it? Yeah. I mean, is, is that something you can articulate, do you think, or is it just something that's inherent in the in the process? Really? I think it's inherent in the, in the process, really, yes. Mm. And, I mean, people do ask me sometimes about content. Well, I don't consciously put any content to it, but um, all our senses have developed in order to for our survival. Yeah. And you cannot ever say that anything is totally, totally, totally abstract without any reference to anything at all, because 
this just isn't the way that the yeah. human being is designed. Absolutely. <laughs> so the content gets into it without my doing anything about it. And, and sometimes I have actually, very rarely, but I do remember having a dream in which I realized what the content of a very, very formal painting was. Um, which was interesting for me because content does get into it, but um, without anything, my doing anything about it. Yeah. You spent some years in Morocco, and you now I did spend indeed. time, yeah. as you just mentioned, in Portugal. Yeah. Um, is there something about these particular places that inspires you? Well, I do like the light. Um, I also like living abroad. I like having to speak another language. Um, I like foreign food. Um, but um, in in Portugal, I don't really I don't um, take part in the art scene at all. Right. Um, I just get on with my work. I don't see all that much in the way of um, shows. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great having um, a computer because one keeps in touch with everybody. People send me images and things. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I just like living abroad, and I like. Um, I wouldn't like living abroad in a cold place. I like a place which is a bit warmer and plenty of light. Um, also, I've just noticed, I mean, I, I've seen this before, that you have made some three-dimensional pieces yes. too, haven't you? I love doing sculpture, but the problems of storing and transporting sculpture are so serious that um, it's rather a luxury to do it. And that's why they're all on a small scale. Right. Um, I think I... I could just as well have been a sculptor as a painter, but um, it's it's also more difficult to sell sculpture. Fewer people buy it. Right. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm interested in doing that, and every now and then I, I do a little sculpture. It's kind of quite a logical extension of the work. That you're oh doing, yes, it is. It's an, it's it's not um, basically a different mm. different process at all. No. no. And I'm quite good at, at putting things together, you know, craftsmanship and stuff. And, can you say a little bit more about that piece that's hanging um, in yes. the studio? Yes, Describe I can. It to us a little bit. Yes, I can. Now, at both ends, it has a triangle, yeah. an equilateral triangle. And the whole piece is based on something that, that I thought of, um, I might never escape from, which was when I discovered a thing called the Doudini dissection, which is um, Ernest Doudini was a Victorian mathematician. And he discovered this dissection of an equilateral triangle into four differently shaped pieces, which can be manipulated into a perfect square. And this is something really extraordinary. So this piece of sculpture shows that happening. You start off with a triangle. It then moves into each surface has the same area, yeah. but the pieces are just aligned differently. It goes through one transition, another transition, when it reaches a square, which is the top. It then goes through another transition and another transition, transition, and it's back to triangle. And the whole piece is fabricated in, in a sort of rather... It's avonite. It's what, sorry? Avonite. Oh, right. It's, it's, I was going to say it's, it's a sort of perspex, but it's... It's like a perspex, yeah. um, but it's a material um, which you can cut on a bandsaw. Right. And, um, well, half a tick, do you know... In actual fact, that isn't even that. That is plastic. I've used both okay. interchangeably, so yeah. that's terrible. That's, no, that's. <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of interesting because it's got such a rich, deep colour yes. as well. Yes. And that's slightly contradictory. Well, it was an offcut. You see, okay. I went 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 to the place to see what they've got in offcuts, 
Mm. And um, I was rather enchanted by this mm. turquoise. Mm. Yeah. I think it's very seductive. Isn't it? It's impossible to photograph. Absolutely right. impossible. Yeah. Um, because of the reflections. And apart from anything else, it's always moving as well. Isn't uh, it? Yes, well, you could well, persuade it to keep still. But it's impossible. I did a smaller version of it in wood. Um, which I'm happy to say was bought by um, the head of pure mathematics, right. which I was very, very flattered yes, by. I'm very, very flattered yeah. by, and that you could photograph, but, but that um, is impossible. Would you like to say something else about this? Another couple of pieces that have caught my eye um, yes. that are on wood, and they appear to have sort of bands of very sort of almost pink neon. Um, bars down the front of the pieces with a kind of white geometric pattern. They're, they're very, again, I think they're perspex on wood. Aren't yes, they? They are, those are perspex Could on wood. Could you say something about them? Yes, um, this is a departure that I only um, started doing this year, and it's a combination. They are on a wooden base with um, covered with canvas, and then. Um, they have bands of perspex, which are edged in fluorescent paint. Mm -hmm. um, I can't really remember exactly what it was that, that made me try this um, in the first place, but um, I have used that fluorescent colour mm -hmm. um, before. In fact, I think it's used in, um, in one of your pieces. In, oh, really? in the circular one. Okay, yes, yes it, it, it was actually, yes. right. The one that that's, yes, that's, that's, that's the only yeah. time, other time I've used it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, it's, it's big, so in a kind of way, they, 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 these pieces of work relate to the, yes, the, the piece that we have, yes, which yes, I think was from the could. 80s, wasn't it? Yes, the, the it was. circular relief. Yes. Yes, I was going to ask you actually just before um, you know, we finish, just something a little bit more about the, the paintings that we do have in the collection. I don't yes. know if you, do you remember them? Yes, I do. Yes, yes, do. yes, yes. And there were three very similar pieces, yes. weren't they, using very, again, yes. different colours. Yes. Um, and with an incredible sense of sort of space and depth by using, yes. uh, it seems to be by using negative and positive space. Is that how you, um, you saw it at the time? Or? Are they, they're all paintings and not reliefs? Is it one no, relief there's three paintings. Three paintings. The, the, the yes. circular one is a yes. I don't think I was trying to create um, depth, but they were following um, they were following a track, and the rule was that um, each band um, went under the the one which was already there. Right. So that they um, there was a logical kind of withdrawal as you got round the whole thing. Um, I remember I enjoyed doing those ones. I was very happy doing those mm. ones. Um, but again, they were they were all exploratory rather than rather than repetitions. Even although they um, they used the same, um, because you've only got to start the systems in a different different point when uh, you get a completely different, different result. result. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, as I know you're quite a good friend of Paula Regio and Bridget Riley, and they're both well-known women artists, obviously. And I, I'm just inter interested, really, whether you think the issue of gender in art is um, well, whether gender is important to any discussion of an artist's work? Um, well, I um, I belonged for a, a time to, um, well, as long as it existed, uh, for a small group called Countervale, um, which was um, Jean's, um, which was the main moving um, spirit in that. Mm. And it was at that point that my attention was was drawn more to feminism, which I had rather 
ignored up to that point um, because this was um, part of the, um, the whole ethos of the, of the thing. And we had a number of exhibitions in um, York and in other places. Um, and it was there was also a sociologist who was moving spirit in it, so we did a lot of talking. Um, I don't know Bridget Riley as, as it happens. Oh, right. I don't know her yeah. at all, but um, Paula is, is a very, very close friend of yeah. mine. Um, I think that um, I've never been a sort of get out and march on the streets feminist. Um, but, and when I was at art school, I can remember very well the kind of attitude um, of the male students. I can remember one saying to me, well, it's all right for you because if you don't, um, you aren't successful, you can marry and have children. Well, I noticed with relish that he married and had children when I did. <laughs> So, yeah. but I never took, I mean, I rather ignored um, this, this, this being put down. I, I mm. mean, it, I, I didn't see it as a, any particular relevance. Mm. Um, but I did become aware later on of how women are disadvantaged. Mm. Um, um, perhaps not so much in the arts as in some other, other, um, other walks of life, really. Right. Um, I admire Louise Bourgeois immensely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, I am. I am. Um, I am certainly for for. We must have equality. Yeah. And I'd just like to finish really by saying, you know, it's, it's wonderful, and thank you very, very much for letting us into the studio.